Hi everyone, welcome back to the Birds of a Feather Talk Together podcast. Today, John Shannon, Amanda, and I are talking about the amazing American woodcock. We're super pumped about this episode, so thanks for joining us. The woodcock are known for their mating displays in the American Northeast and Midwest. We get into more detail on their elaborate show, but this display is usually the sign that spring has arrived, so we've been seeing a lot of them in Illinois lately. John and Shannon also share some recent findings which may contradict what we've thought previously about when and where woodcocks may be mating. Make sure to keep listening to learn more. After discussing the woodcock, we'll respond to a listener mailbag question as well about bird bullies. I also wanted to let you know about our Instagram page. We'll be posting pictures of some of the bird specimens along with each episode. We have pictures of the ivory-billed woodpecker and the birds of paradise up there now, so be sure to check them out at Birds of a Feather Podcast on Instagram, each word separated by underscores. Now, grab your binoculars, and let's get into the episode. All right, well, welcome everyone to uh, Birds of a Feather Talk Together Podcast. This is RJ, and as always, I'm joined with Amanda and John and Shannon. So thanks everyone for joining. Today we're going to talk about the woodcock, um, but is there anything else we want to talk about before we kind of jump into our topic? How's everybody doing? It's nice to see everyone's face. It's sunny. It's sunny. Yeah. <laughs> it we is. have solar panels on our house and they're now creating energy. So oh. that has become a daily routine now to check how much energy oh. that That's we're exciting. creating. It is. It's fun. Yeah. And we're making what we use, which is good because the days are still not as long as they're going to be soon. Yeah, they are definitely getting longer, though. I feel like it was like 830 the other night and we were looking out and the sun was still out. It's really nice. (laughs) I had a little walk at Perkins Woods this morning in Evanston and we had eight species of warblers. So there's still some around, mostly females, but that's great. We need suet. I forgot. (laughs) You're saying that just reminded me. Oh, (laughs) Well, so people have kind of been wondering what spawned this uh, this podcast. So I wanted to get a little bit into that before our topics, why we think a podcast is like a good medium and why we all want to do this and get together. Um, so I don't know if everyone want to chime in and see how, if they have any thoughts on it. For me, podcasts are the sounds of my life. When you live in a big city like Chicago, you spend a lot of time in a car and um I listened to podcasts. It started with Serial way back when, 2014. And since then, I've really gotten into true crime podcasts and murder podcasts, (laughs) all the positive things in life over and over and over. But I don't know. For me, it was a genre that had a lot of women voices in it. And so I liked that part of it because often the things you might listen to either on the news or on TV, there's you know, not very many different kinds of voices. And so I like podcasts. I like serial learning, and I like getting to know people, and podcasts are a better way to do that than, um, you know, than TV might be. So hopefully you're going to get to know us yeah. through these podcasts. Yeah, I agree completely. And I like also that they're a little more, like, bite-sized. You can kind of put them on and determine how long you want to listen. You can pause it when you get to where you're going and then restart it again. If you are into a super, like, into a topic, you can really dive into it and research more. And it's kind of a learning experience kind of on your own terms. Um, so I really like podcasts because of that. Well, you have a lot of opportunity in Chicago. So to yeah, get a through lot of, like an entire series of podcasts yeah. on one trip to and from. Especially now <laughs> with the construction, it's <laughs> podcasts course, are going up. We like the fact that you asked us to talk about birds. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, we've gotten to see some woodcocks. So we've had two different times that we've gone out and looked for woodcocks. You know, this is really our first like full spring that we've gotten and like dove into birding. And so everyone keeps talking about the woodcocks. So we were like, we've got to go see these. And we've had two totally different experiences. <laughs> the first time we went um, and we saw, I mean, maybe 30 or so, and we saw them do the whole mating ritual where they were flying around and had such a like amazing time and then went another time and we're out in the cold, the sunset, still hadn't seen one. And then we, it was like freezing, raining, and we finally saw one, like, yes. <laughs> then we went back after that. <laughs> but you were in different places? We for were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first one, we were in Lake Forest. Yeah. Um, middle, middle Fork Savannah. Middle Fork Savannah. Yeah. And we, our Audubon group was going to have a, a meeting there, and it filled up. So we just went on our own to that same spot. And everyone was saying to go at dusk and we went like an hour before when the sun was still out and we didn't really know what to expect we were kind of looking and finally saw one and then we didn't realize how high up really they are and we start looking and all of a sudden we're seeing more and more and more and they were all flying up in the sky and it was like I don't know it was really cool to see and it was that whole thing that they describe is where they start kind of in a smaller circle and get bigger and bigger and bigger and then do this like dive bomb down yes. below. It was like a really cool. Like plane crashing. Yeah. 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 So a lot of those sounds are not just made by their vocal organs. Oh. They're made by their wings. Oh, so okay. the air rushing through the wings can make sounds as well. Just, oh. you know, I'm sure we'll talk about more about some of these birds, but sounds and birds can sound a lot like they come from a vocal organ, but they can come from feathers, loud snapping sounds, even harmonics wow. all all come from feathers. So Okay. Yeah, and I think it's we should talk a little bit about literally what a woodcock is. Yes. I you know, they're they're a cool North American bird and, and uh American woodcocks are found all the way across eastern North America and they're a member of the uh sandpiper family, so they're modified sandpipers and but they live almost completely differently from any of the other species and in the sense that they like these upland scrub type habitats so middle fork is a perfect example of a really neat place for for them to be and they're one of the earliest migrants and so they they come here pretty early and start displaying pretty early Um, and it's the males who arrive first and then are starting to do those displays to attract females. Yeah, and they're ground birds, right? So yeah. for them to go up and do this like big display, that's really unique, right? Are there not a lot of other ground birds like that that'll go that high up and do this kind of display like that? Or I was thinking about this. I mean, there's some other birds, like I think of common nighthawk in North America, which has kind of a display like that, and they'll certainly roost on the ground, but they're much more flighted than woodcocks. Woodcocks are a really, yeah, fascinating bird. Once they're on the ground and they're around foraging, so they I mean they they specialize on earthworms. They have this mm. long bill, got nerves on the tip of it, and oh. they're probing around most of the time, trying to be as inconspicuous as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, they and, stomp on the ground to make uh, to make the stuff under the earth that they're going to eat move. So if you watch them, you can see them like smacking their feet on the ground. Uh, because then they can sense what's underneath it awesome. and, and go get them. And they have such a unique look. Like, I feel like their long beak is really unique. Or it looks different. It's, like, disproportionate to their, like, little plump body. Like, they look really cute when we saw them. <laughs> yes. We You know, we saw them from far away, and then when we looked them up close, like, online, we were like, oh, these are so cool looking. <laughs> and, the, and the videos of what Chan is describing of mm-hmm. sort of their their gait, I mean, they mm-hmm. have this bobbing aspect to them that's been put to music on various videos, uh-huh. too. It's, it's They're... they're <laughs> 
Yeah, no, they're a, they're a fascinating little bird and and a little bird. They're actually middle-sized bird and as you said quite chunky and and you know because of that they've actually been hunted by people for forever and you know that's a they're apparently quite good to eat and i read that their so their eyes are so far back on their head that while they're looking for worms that they can see behind them as well is that true (laughs) yeah Yeah. well if you were going to make that kind of conspicuous display, mm-hmm. you'd want to know if there was a hawk overhead because you're True. not very conspicuous when you're doing that, right? But the females aren't above. The females are down on the ground choosing, again, because it's the females that choose. Mm-hmm. The males don't help at the nest or anything like that. They don't raise the young, but mm-hmm. females do. And so it's the females that are choosing. Um, and the female might go to several of these places. There's usually more than one male displaying at a time in these places, which you probably experienced when yeah. you were there. And it looked like they were almost working together. And I know we talked about lecking last time we were together, where <laughs> birds kind of, is this, or are, is that considered lecking what the woodcock were doing? Or is this So I think with woodcock, it's, it's not, oh. although woodcock, uh, there are species of shorebirds, of scolopacids that actually do, um, have lecking behavior. There's a bird called the ruff, which is a European bird that has a spectacular set of uh, dancing that goes on mm-hmm. by the males for females and has resulted in the evolution of all these really bizarre plumage traits. Woodcocks are just kind of, I mean, the males and females are different in size, as Shannon's saying, with females being bigger than males. But they're cryptically colored, and they're really trying to stay out of sight most of the rest of the time. And that that probably doesn't bode well for lecking. Although, I, you know, given what you're describing, you could almost imagine they're certainly competing with other males in those displays in all likelihood to attract a female. And are they – we were – joking because we had such a hard time seeing them. We were like, what do the females see from down on the ground if they're that high up there? Well, they may have better <laughs> eyesight than we do. Okay. Um, okay. But anyways, they're, uh, but they're, that's what they're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. They're spending, this is the time of year, they're hormonally ready for breeding. And so they're predisposed to looking for, for those and this, if you next year, you'll be a lot better at finding them than you are this year. That's mm-hmm. what happens with bird watching. Yeah. yeah. Right. Is that you <laughs> right. get better at hearing and finding mm-hmm. um, yeah. things. But yeah, so you, you got to keep your eyes up and down if you're a, if you're a woodcock, if you want to be successful. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, like Shannon was saying with Birds of Paradise in a previous episode is that it, it's hard to study what one sex sees in the other one. And those are really interesting questions. Mm. And a lot of times we don't know. Yeah. You know, it could be something, I mean, one thought I have is if you've got the male doing that, it's obviously being seen at some level, but at the same time, it may be uh, really important for how it lands and things like Mm. that, you know? And so there may be, but, but those are really hard things to study. I mean, we're starting to get the high speed videos that can, can do some of that. But now you're, when you're talking about something that's going a hundred meters up or something, that gets hard to, to take in with one shot from a camera. Yeah. Yeah. And woodcocks are in decline. So they're part of Mm. the whole um, cadre of North American species that are in significant declines over the last 40 years. So, yeah. Is that just because of like overdevelopment of their Yeah, if you if you or? like kind of shrubby areas that yeah. have kind of immature forests and things like that, well, mm-hmm. you know, the shopping mall is not your friend. Neither yeah. is the 
new um, housing development. So, you know, a lot of that habitat is getting taken over from human activities. I think it's a big opportunity. People don't think of their neighborhoods as being important reservoirs for birds. Mm -hmm. And I think it doesn't take much to have more foresight in planning, Mm -hmm. in developmental planning to make some habitats that things like woodcocks can still be okay Mm. in rather than going in and just completely decimating every tree and every blade of grass and every shrub that's in an area to plant on or to um, put a house on things like that which is obviously easier for developers but I think there needs to be legislation that you know has different thought processes associated with with development so that we can both have housing for people but also have housing for mm. wildlife as well. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and I, I think some of the suburban areas of Chicago turn out to be maybe not intentionally planned, but well enough planned that they provide really nice habitat. So Middle Fork is a perfect example where you drive through that neighborhood to get there and then you're between neighborhoods essentially, but there's some spectacular open country that's just perfect for them to nest in. Yeah, it gives them yeah. cover and 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 so you know it's one of the things that's interesting about woodcock is it's a species and there are other species like this like ruffed grouse for instance, which I think the wildlife biologists because they're game birds have actually studied in a lot greater detail in terms of their habitat preferences. And sometimes what comes out of that is that you actually need to manage the forest and management takes on weird uh, implications in a situation like uh, woodcock if they like open savannas because that may not be good for pileated woodpeckers, but it's certainly needed for woodcocks. And, and mm-hmm. you know, those are... Yeah, those are interesting trade-offs with respect to looking across landscapes. And unfortunately, woodcocks hit buildings not infrequently. Um. So um, we have, I think, almost 2,500 woodcocks as of a year ago in our collections. Of course, that space is over decades, right? But Mm -hmm. they are a fairly frequent um, bird that hits windows and comes into our collections that way. Uh, but like usual with these birds, we learn all kinds of really interesting things when they do that. And one of the really fun things that we've learned about woodcocks is that when they're hitting the buildings in Chicago coming from their wintering grounds, they often have fully shelled eggs in their oviduct, which birds aren't supposed to do that. You're not supposed to be mating on the uh, wintering grounds and then flying, given that weight is an important aspect of this, as we talked about flying with a fully shelled egg in your oviduct to go lay it somewhere else, which is really interesting because a lot of the stuff that John and I do, we think, well, the birds are pairing up, mating on the breeding grounds. And so we, th- there's population genetics kinds of things we do that are related to those hypotheses that we have a priori. But, you know, woodcocks throw that up in the air because if they're not mating with someone when they're on their breeding grounds, where is the birds that they're, where are those birds, where did they come from and where are they going? Um, and do so you think really this is something new that they're now, or that they've always been doing that? And well, we just that's, an, that's an interesting question. So, so one of the, so they breed all the way down into Louisiana. And so it's, it's not inconceivable that some of this is related to population expansion mm. over historic, like 
thousands and thousands of years potentially, maybe? That's an interesting question because it is, as Shannon's saying, it's it's surprising that you would have these birds doing that, and yet there's probably some aspect of the basic biology that makes it likely that that's why it happens. I mean, one of the, the bird I mentioned earlier, the ruff, they're known to breed up in the tundra in northern Europe, and at the same time, there's documented mating on the uh, migration pathway north in places like the Netherlands. And so they're, yeah. they're even within Scolopacid, so in, within sandpipers, there are examples where some of that is known to happen. And mm. But again, the interesting thing about woodcocks is, as Shannon's saying, they're, they're cryptic, and so studying them while they're moving on their migration route is really hard, which is one of the reasons why getting these specimens and being able to look at, at their reproductive condition as they come in is is uh, really good. And one of the unfortunate things about woodcocks, which is fortunate for the museum, is they're big. Mm. And they seem to be something that when in the Chicago area, for instance, when they hit a building and drop down at the, and they're sitting on the sidewalk, people won't walk by them. They're actually looking at them and going, what the heck is that? Mm. And if it hits your window, you know. (laughs) So you're going to go outside and look and see what it is. Okay. Um, But anybody's, those birds should come to the Field Museum if you're in Chicago. You should put them in a bag, in a Ziploc bag, with a note with the basic data associated with where you are, what to date, um, any interesting facts. You should put them in a bag and put them in your freezer and then email or call the Field Museum and Tell us you're going to bring them in or ask us to come get them, and we'll make sure that they turn into study specimens so that people can study these kinds of things. I never really thought about that, Amanda, That whether that was a recent thing. I just thought we learned something, and maybe they've been doing it all along, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until people routinely started picking up birds um, that hit buildings that we could see that. If you just pick up a random one or two, it's not every bird that's coming through like that. Um, so it's only these kind of happenstance things yeah. that let you start piecing together some of these these puzzles. Yeah, and Shane, I'm my mind is blown by the thought that these birds would fly with full eggs because I you're right. I never thought. I mean, I would have never thought about like the weight that would add to your flight. Do like, and I'm completely ignorant. <laughs> like, what would a bird know that? It's pregnant. <laughs> I, yes. It would. Okay. I mean, I couldn't get out of the chair easily when I was pregnant. <laughs> I needed help to put my shoes on. But, but I do. I mean, there is a weight component to that. And I think, you know, the bird can sense an extra weight. Now, I don't know if that what happens to that weight completely with one of those birds, how much fat they put on before they actually start moving, and if that means that they need to stop more frequently. I don't know. What do you think, John? I was going to say, I, to me, these are like comparative biology questions, too, which I, which are, again, the Scolopacidae, the sandpipers, which is their group. The vast majority of those species are long-distance migrants. They do some incredible migration things. For instance, bar-tailed godwits fly they know now from from uh, transmitter data nonstop to uh, from Alaska down to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have an egg in their oviduct. Mm-hmm. So it may be that that one of the things that helps woodcocks out or female woodcocks out is that they're 
comparatively short distance migrants, even though they're literally moving across North America to get to their breeding sites. So going back to the woodcocks, like if a bird did know it was pregnant, would it still keep trying to mate? I think the answer to that is maybe. And yet at the same time, I, I it, it probably depends on the species. And there are probably lots of different strategies associated with doing things. I, I think if if you're probably ready to lay you're not going to be mating. And yet at the same time, you, you know, you've got these birds out there like brown-headed cowbirds where they're literally, the females are mating with the males and then going around trying to drop eggs in other birds' nests as parasites. What would stop a brown-headed cowbird female from necessarily mating with another brown-headed cowbird if the opportunity came? I don't know. I mean, you I mean, never know if if a bird has to go through all of the rituals in order to build a nest, right? So I, they could be going through the rituals and maybe even having sex with a bird that doesn't result in an egg being formed and then laying their egg in the subsequent nest that's built. I mean, Yeah, so, so the, the risk of sidetracking us here. Yeah. No, we, it's we've fine. got a pair of red-bellied woodpeckers in our backyard right now, and for the life of me, I can't tell where they are in their reproductive cycle. The male built the nest. There was no female around. A female finally started showing up, but she was never really engaged in the nest until, or in the hole until fairly recently. They're around the hole, but one of the things that's in the literature about male red-bellied woodpeckers doing is that if they build the hole, they'll go in it and they'll do this thing called soft tapping where you can hmm. they'll tap inside the hole. And I hear that, and I thought they might be on eggs, and I could hear soft tapping when we left the house to come down here today. And so for the life of me now, I'm, not, I'm wondering whether that female is – you know, just kind of leading this male on. Maybe she's actually like, you know, got a male on another territory or something. I mean, a lot of these things are really hard to study. And so it takes a, a system where it's possible to study it to, to learn a lot of these things. And there are some really spectacular long-term studies of bird populations like um, superb fairy wrens in Australia where they've they've looked at all kinds of aspects of that because they literally spend – hundreds and hundreds of hours watching these birds do what they're doing. But unless you do that, it's really hard. Yeah. But you shouldn't be, I mean, actually, you should not be afraid to ask questions, even the ones that think are dumb, because that's why people work in diverse groups with different experiences, because someone comes up with something that triggers a whole downstream series of either experiments or studies that the person wouldn't have come up with on their own. Like you saying um, what you said about the the birds and whether they know what they're doing and what happens to them. And that – now we're going to go back to the museum and ask people what they think, right? Good job, Thank Amanda. So, <laughs> Thanks, Janet. But no, I'm not – I, I know it sounds kind of like Pollyanna and hokey and stuff, but I really do believe that things – scientific – Ideas come in, they don't all come in one way. You know, they come in lots of different ways from lots of different perspectives. And so when people say things, all of a sudden it's like, hmm. And that could be something really important. I mean, 
if the scientists like us 50 years ago had said that, well, I'm hypothesizing that woodcocks fly with fully shelled eggs in your in their oviducts on migration, people will laugh at you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and now we know that they do, yeah. but we don't know why. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, that's the next step. It's trying to figure out, got to let people know that happens. Yeah. And then taking a lot of different opinions about how and why. And then, Well, in, you know, in, in this cognitive aspect there. of things is, is, again, we're only now getting the tools to be able to look at that in the kind of detail that you might want to to even begin to address a question like that. Yeah, what proportion of females do things like that? What are their hormone um, regimes like on the wintering grounds? What kind of variance is there in these Mm -hmm. things? These are all, because now that you know that, that's a whole set of of studies that come out of that knowledge that you wouldn't have thought of doing before, but now those things are really important to do if you really want to narrow down why these birds are doing that. Yeah. Hmm. And I think... uh, There aren't bad questions. No. (laughs) There are just... There's just fear of asking them because nobody wants to seem dumb. You're right. right. That's that's how I feel when I won't listen to the podcast on my own because I can't stand to hear my own voice. (laughs) I know. I had such a hard time listening back. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys do it for me. And if I'm dumb, I'm assuming you'll tell me. But there's no way. Well, I think we're kind of getting close on time. Should we uh, jump into some mailbag questions while we uh, before we wrap it up? Sure. Okay. So we've got um, this first one is from Sally from Marin, California. Um, she said, our bird feeder was active with sparrows, finches, and scrub jays. One day the birds stopped coming except for the occasional scrub jay. Where did they go? I'm wondering if the scrub jay is a bully or if we did something to offend them all. Love the show. <laughs> uh, scrub jays are bullies. <laughs> they are. Okay. <laughs> That's not all that's going on, but corvids in general mm-hmm. are, are, they can clear, they clear our yard, for example. Blue jays, when the oh, blue jays around, the rest of the birds kind of, they get out of the way. The blue jay will big dog at the feeders and take peanuts and the other birds just kind of hang back and wait for it to go away. <laughs> so, but yeah, but th- during migration, things come through and they go. And so you might have birds that are there for a day, two days, a week, and then they're they're gone to wherever they're going to nest. So, but okay. yes, corvids are well known for, corvids are smart. Mm-hmm. So they have the density of neurons that higher primates do. Um, so it's a compliment if someone calls you a bird brain, but it's not the <laughs> insult that people think it is. But corvids in particular, they learn all kinds of things that we didn't think anybody, anything but people could do. They recognize, um, they recognize themselves. They recognize other people. So that's pretty wow. higher order thinking that yeah. corvids can do. Okay. What do you think, John? So I'm going to go with the, the predator hypothesis, which is that we often have no activity in our backyard, and if I go out, I can often spook a cooper's hawk that's come into the yard and is sitting quietly in some corner, or the neighbor's cat runs out of the yard too. And so sometimes that's a way to quiet down your bird feeder pretty quickly. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Well, I think uh, I think that's probably a good place to stop for this episode. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, anybody have anything they want to add to wrap it up? Nope. Uh, you should, again, get out, go birding. Yeah. It's a health prescription. Go outside, listen to birds.
Thanks everyone for listening. Just a reminder that you can reach out to us at podcast.birdsofafeather at gmail.com with your mailbag questions. We wanted to thank Earhole Studios in Chicago for allowing us to record at your studios. We appreciate the help. We've been receiving a ton of great feedback, so thank you to everyone for listening and for your continued support. We're still trying to get the word out there, so if you've enjoyed our podcast, please spread the word and let somebody know about us. We have more episodes dropping every week, so please subscribe and continue to listen. Thanks, everyone.